0: Good morning, Ebenezer. How are you? If you're joining us online or you're here in the room, I am honored that you would come and hang out with us today. And I hope that God will touch your life in a very special way today. So I want to be one of the ones to welcome you. If you're a guest today, please stop by our desk outside. We'd love to give you a gift and just say thanks for coming and get to know you. You know what? You braved some cold weather. I know if we've got anyone watching us from the rest of the 46 states, that's not the south, or however many they are. I mean, there's some places that's negative digits this morning, and we're complaining about 12. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy, but I'm glad you're here. You could have chosen to stay at home, but you didn't. So thank you for being here. I also want to point out something. This last week, we celebrated. We call him affectionately Father William Fred. But this time last year, we officially called... Fred Lodge to be our Pastor Emeritus. And would you guys let him know how much we appreciate him and his ministry here at the church. I can tell you as, 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 as being here now a year, it was, it's been so fruitful in my own life to have someone on our team that was here previously as pastor. But then that was here right before I came and it has been such good for me. And if you've ever been around Fred, you need to be around him because he is contagious. Not not flu or anything, he's um, the, the kind of good contagious that we need. And so I want you to take your Bible, your device, go to Galatians 5, and I'm going to forewarn you, it's going to be a little bit before I read it, but that's okay. Uh, in fact, you know what, go ahead and turn there, and we'll go ahead and get the standing part done as we honor God's Word. So once you've got Galatians 5, verse 22, stand up, and let's read God's Word. It says, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Let's pray. Father, as we continue this study of your Spirit, God, would you speak to our hearts today as we are challenged to analyze what is it that's being bore in my life in Jesus' name Amen. You can be seated. So we got the reading out of the way, so now I can take every tangent in the world from this point on. So if you'll follow with me in the study guides, there's not too many rabbits. I killed a lot of those this week. But in the study guide, I have put some extra passages. I may not read all of those passages, but they're for you, like the Thessalonians. I want you to go back. I want you to study it. Um, I heard a, a lady say this week when she was presenting a teaching, she said, I want to remind you of something. I'm fallible. And I thought, you know what? I need to do the same. I'm fallible, folks. The only thing that's on this podium that's infallible is this word. And so as I'm sharing with you and preaching the word, this is what is true. I'm going to misspeak. I'm going to say things that sometimes are, are, don't make sense, that may be complicated. I mean, I, I told someone, I actually told uh, the previous service and I've said to other people, God's greatest gift to me was my mouth, and God's greatest curse to me is my mouth. Uh, because the very same mouth that I'm communicating with you now is the same one that speaks too much sometimes, that speaks out of line, that says things I take want to take back. And so I want you to know the only infallible thing that's on this podium right now is this word. And that's what we ought to crave. You know, and as a pastor, if there's anything I would love to convey to you is I want you to have such a hunger for the Word of God that it can't be satisfied. I want you to want to read God's Word. I want you to live God's Word. I want you to want to digest God's Word. I want it to be a driving force that every day you wake up, that you have to, have to open the Word and see what God says. And so we're studying the Holy Spirit, the here and now, and how God puts His Spirit in you and me when we're saved. That was the marking we talked about last week. He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. We're immersed in Him so that as we live in the Spirit, the Spirit is moving in us, through us, and around us, just like the balloon I had last week. And so, I was sad I had to take that big of a breath to blow that balloon up. I'm still getting over the flu. But each of us have a capacity for the filling of God. And one thing we didn't get to talk much about last week is, well, wait a minute, but doesn't the Bible also say I need to be filled with the Lord? Like, how is it that I'm filled with the Lord, but I'm being filled with the Lord? Well, there's a deterministic feeling, that feeling, F-I-L-L-I-N-G, not feeling, not emotional, that when you are saved, you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, But as we are growing in our faith, if we are growing in our faith, our capacity for that fullness begins to grow as well. And so if I can make a contrast here, let's say, you know, this is a this is an air balloon, right? I mean, I blew put air in it. But how many of you ever had the wonderful experience at a kid's camp of filling up water balloons? There is nothing like it in the world. You better wear an apron. Because about every five or six balloon, you're going to pop it on the, on the tip of that faucet and you start filling it up. And you know what happens if you put too much water in it. It busts. If it's got an imperfection, it busts. But that balloon can only, it's only usually about hand size, right? I mean, would you imagine throwing a water balloon that weighed five pounds? I mean, there's some of you guys in here that are buff and myself that could probably throw a five pound balloon. But I mean, I mean, for the most part of us, we probably struggle. But you would agree that the capacity of that water balloon and this balloon is less. This can hold more, correct? And you and I are the same way. When we read Ephesians 5, 18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command that we are seeking to be filled with the Lord. Well, well, what would diminish the feeling of the Lord in my life? Life does. Tragedy happens, disappointments, doubts, and fears, and sin. And so, I then, as the end of the book says in 523, he commands us to not quench the Holy Spirit. Well, if I quench the Holy Spirit, man, I'm cutting off the life flow of God. Remember, I, t- I challenge you that when we think spirit, think life. And it's, so, it's the same thing as it is with this balloon. I need to seek to be filled by the Holy Spirit. You back up into Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 16, you read how Paul is praying for the Ephesians, and he talks about to be strengthened with the Spirit in the inner man. Where is it? It's inside. And as a result of that, he's challenging them to know and to experience the love of Christ. And by doing so, they would be filled to the full and then most of you know Ephesians 3 20 now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we think ask or imagine according to the power that works inside of us then he gives the reason the reason why he's putting the feeling inside of us it's not for us to feel squishy it's not for us to have an emotional experience The reason He puts the Spirit inside of us is because as God is glorious, now the glory of God is existing inside of me. Verse 21 says, to the glory of the church are we filled to the full. So my job and my role is to then join with the Spirit, to seek to be filled with the Spirit, to repent, to seek the Lord, to do the things that will stretch my capacity to come to church, to serve, to pray, to study, so that my capacity can be increased. Because I don't want to be a water balloon sized Christian. I want to be a hot air balloon sized. Right? I mean, have you ever seen those things be blown up when they come to hell in Georgia? I mean, it takes them forever. They have, to, they have to set the balloon up and blow fans in it just to get the thing started. And then they cut that heat on and that balloon begins to fill and feel and it begins to rise and it lifts up. And so it is with us that when the spirit lives inside of us and the glory of God is being expressed through us, we're lifting up the name and the person of Christ. That's what God wants for our life. And so There's an illustration that Tony Evans has done before that I've loved. It it appeared in a magazine. It appeared in a message. But I love the illustration as it talks about the glory of God being like the Pacific Ocean. I got to see the Pacific Ocean for the first time a few weeks, a few months ago. And it blows me away because I love the ocean as I've told you. I love the sand as I've told you. And I'd much would love to have the heat that goes along with the beach right now. I'm not about 20 and 30 degree temperatures. I wouldn't mind some 60s and 70s personally. But he begins to talk about going down to the Pacific Ocean and getting water. Like us being filled to the full. The only amount of water that you can get out of the Pacific Ocean is the amount of the container, the capacity you take with you. So for my ladies in the room that so, you might have a thimble. And let's say I take that thimble down to... The Pacific Ocean and I get down and I dip and I get some water out of the Pacific Ocean how much water did I get a thimble amount but let's say I go back and I take a glass and I go down with that glass and I get down to the Pacific Ocean and I scoop this huge ocean net that doesn't seem like it ends and I get a glass how much of the water can I have I can have a glass full which is more than the thimble but let's say I go down with a bucket and I get a bucket full of that water how much can I have a bucket full, that's the capacity that I have. But let's say I go back with a barrel, a 55 gallon drum. Now we're getting serious. But in the immense amount of water in the Pacific Ocean, I scoop, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to lift it because it's, so it's so much more volume than, than a bucket. But let's say I got really serious and I went down and I got me a Mack truck because I can drive a Mack truck. No, I can drive. Well, I actually, I, I can drive other trucks. Little secret. Keep that one close to the chest. And I back up to a tanker. And I drive down to the Pacific Ocean. I back it up and I put a hose in there. And I suck the water out of the ocean into that tanker. How much water can I have? Among a whole immense amount of water. And it's the same thing with you and with me. God wants to lead us in such a way that our capacity begins to increase. I don't want to be a thimble-sized Christian I want to be a tanker-sized Christian, and the only thing that's holding me back from being able to have more capacity is me. The more I humble myself to seek to depend on the Holy Spirit, the more I give my credit away to Him, God is glorified, and I'm filled. And so that brings us to, to a very important part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Why? We've talked about the person of the Spirit, we've talked about the feeling of the Spirit, but... What is His purpose? What, what is the Spirit's will in my life? I believe the, the will of God is that He would be glorified, to be worshipped, right? But when you think about you and me, we, we think about this person, then I have to ask myself the question, what is the will of the Spirit in my life? Well, it's very clear. It's what Jesus prayed in John 17, 17. Remember, He referred to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. And so He prays in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Everybody, just, just for the fun, because, I mean, you learn big words. It's funny how we say, you know what? When you preach, don't use big words. It scares people. <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen a seventh grade reader's vocabulary list? There's some words on there I wouldn't say and then kiss my mama on the cheek. No, they're not bad words. I'm, I mean, they're just hard words. Why, why are we afraid of hard words? The word sanctify. Say the word sanctify. sanctify. See, you survived. You said it. Now you're going like, well, that's a big word. I don't understand it. It must be scary. No, 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 it's not scary. He said sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. First, blank you have on your outline says this The will of the Spirit is to sanctify. And what does that look like? Setting us apart for specific use and purpose. When you hear the word sanctify, think saint. It's the same root, it's the same word. And some of you, when you say the word saint, you're thinking of somebody right now. You know who I think about? I think about Miss Virginia York, Laura's grandmother. What a godly saint she was. She passed away a few months ago. And and, I, and I'm, some of you i have told this story, but it's worth repeating. She had t- a series of strokes. She had a first one and then the second one. And the second one um, led, led on to her passing. But after the first stroke, she's 96 years old. And you guys know, some of you are getting older. It's easy to kind of atrophy, get grouchy, and think the worst of life. But you know what Miss Virginia did? We went to see her. And she's sitting in the corner, and she would say things to Laura like, I think my sight's getting better now. And I think I can hear you better. But this is the one that, that floored me. My son and I went to see her, and, and was we're talking to her, she said, do you know Pastor so-and-so? And I said, yeah, I do. And she said, I've been praying for him all day. This 96-year-old lady who's in rehab, not knowing whether she would ever come out of that rehab, not knowing whether she'd ever get better, wasn't sitting there in pity, but she was praying for people. That's what I think about when I think about a saint. And you know what? It's not outside of the realm of any of us either. If we are walking in the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, Jeremy Dermott defines it this way, because of the peculiar characteristic of the Spirit, is holiness. Hence, Holy Spirit, it's his first name. The person inhabited by the Spirit will gradually become holy. The reference there I gave you in 1 Thessalonians, verse number three, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Let me offer a nuance to the definition of discipleship. It is the partnering with the Spirit to sanctify me. I can either stand with Him and move in that direction or stand against Him. Because whatever we talk about this week and next week in the manifestations of the Spirit, whether it's fruits or in the gifts, if your sin is not dealt with, you're living in hypocrisy. You cannot be living in sin and whatever you're claiming to be a manifestation of the Spirit, it's not from Him. Those two things don't coexist. And the reason I'm telling you, and I'm saying this from a heart-driven motivation, is because there's a lot of people that believe because they can manifest certain things of the Spirit that they're saved and they're not. They think because they had some emotional experience during a church service that that checked the mark and made them spiritual and they're not saved. And I think it's worth us digging into because Paul then goes on into 523 saying, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved completely. He didn't say part or half or some. Unfortunately, a lot of us want to come to Christ and have our sins forgiven, but then we want to keep our bag of sin over here so I can take, take it out of the bag and play with it every once in a while. He wants us to lay all of our sin on the altar. We are sanctified by Christ. We are sanctified by the Word, and we are sanctified for ministry by the Holy Spirit. In fact, Romans fifteen verses, uh, fifteen chapter fifteen verses fifteen through sixteen says, "So that the offering of my Gentiles may be acceptable." Talking about Paul's ministry bringing in Gentiles to salvation, he says, "Sanctified." By the Holy Spirit. It's his will. It's his work. He says it in First Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God by the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It's what he does. Point two. Sanctification prepares us for God's purpose. Second 2 Timothy 2.21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. That is God's plan for your life. And the thing that stands between me and that being accomplished is my unwillingness to fully submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life to sanctify me, to set me apart, to purify me, to cleanse me. Because in this, there is both the definitive act of sanctification that God has sanctified me, that point in time. But then there's this outflow There is this aspect that that is also progressive. So we are sanctified, and we are being sanctified. We are filled, like we read a few minutes ago, and I'm being filled as I seek Him more. We are cleansed, but then we are being cleansed. Listen, as a Christian, the way that I deal with my sin is confession. The discipline of confession And you know why people don't practice this discipline sometimes? Because they're blind. What I've learned in church is this. When someone is blind to their sin, they'll never know they're blind to their sin. They don't want somebody to take the blinders off. They'll say, hey, there's nothing wrong with me. And they're blind to their blindness. It's like they're doubly blind. But when I am yielding myself to that purifying, sanctifying, feeling work of the Holy Spirit, then I am submitting myself that I will walk in Him. The will of the Spirit is to sanctify us and sanctification prepares us for God's purpose. The deepening experience of the presence of God is an ongoing work of walking in the Spirit, not a one-and-done deal. We must follow, walk, wherever the Lord will direct us. And so as he's working in my life, it's exhibited in two different ways. It's expressed in the fruit of the Spirit. I didn't say fruits. Hey, let me give you a test. Those of you that are in my Revelation class on, on Wednesday night, is it Revelation or Revelations? It's singular. So in this verse, it's fruit, not fruits. Singular. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did y'all learn that song? Anybody know that song? I started to sing it, but I didn't want to scare you to death. We sang it a lot with our kids. The fruit of the spirit's not a coconut, the fruit of the spirit's not a watermelon. But all these kids are in there singing, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, 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 oh. Because you've you got to roll it out at the end. But he also manifests himself in us by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And a gift is not a natural talent. The gift is not something you could do on your own. The gift of the Holy Spirit is what God divinely enables you to do. So if I can do it on my own, who gets the credit? And my flesh wants me to get the credit. When we study the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're looking at what God divinely helps you do. Not what I can do on my own. Because if I can do it on my own, then I can go out in the world and say, hey, look how spiritual I am. And look how much of a scum you are. Too much of that happens in our church life where we say, I'm better than somebody else because I can do this. Wait a minute. If only someone had written a letter about that. Oh yeah, Paul did. First Corinthians, from 12 to 14, he addresses this idea that you're coming in like a peacock, parading yourself because you can do certain things and other people can't. It was a problem then, and guess what? It's a problem today. But what I want to be able to do is grow in humility and submission. That as the Spirit is working in my life, then I can express the fruit first and then the gifts. You know, years ago, I remember uh, an experience I had at a different church where there was an altar service and this young man came down and, and he was in the altar for a really long time. There were people counseling with him. And, and when it was all said and done, he, he made a profession of faith. He claimed to be saved. Well, as I was walking out, this person said to me, well, they weren't really saved. And I went, what? He said, yeah, because he didn't cry. I went, wait a minute what you're saying to me is is that they don't cry they're not saved that's what she was saying and i'm like listen emotional experiences does not dictate and determine and prove spirituality boy wait, let me flip that around if i have a spiritual experience can i be emotional well i mean i don't know about you but if anybody's ever saved my life i was very appreciative Sometimes I was in, I mean, I remember times, you remember times when you were in danger and somebody helped you out and you were like just crying. When it was over, like, why are you crying? (laughs) I'm so glad you helped me. I mean, you know, you have an emotional response, which is okay, but the emotion does not determine spirituality. Are you with me? If you are, say, oh yeah. I just want to make sure I'm not boring you to death yet. Because I want to give you this other point that says we can only exhibit the fruit of the Spirit once we have been sanctified by the Spirit, which is kind of the overarching point that I have in this message today. We can mask the fruit. We can mask manifestations at times. But I cannot mask sanctification. It either has happened or it has not happened. And this passage in Galatians 5 is clear, that if I'm continuing to sow to my flesh, I am not in the Spirit. So let's go. I want to just jump head first into that. I want you to look at verse 16 in Galatians 5. And from this point on, there's a primary point and a couple of sub points. So really, I only had four points this week. I told somebody I was going to have only three points this week, and I lied. And I asked God to forgive me, and he said, okay. Okay. But I mean, according to Philippians 2, 3, it's God that's at work in us for his pleasure, his will. We remember the, the thing, the basis of the new covenant. He puts his spirit inside, inside of us, causing us to obey. So we exhibit the fruit of the spirit as we walk in the spirit. The Greek word here where it says in verse 16, but I say to you, walk by the spirit is parapeteo. And what this word means, it means to walk, but it also means around word perimeter i just i know y'all don't like math I've, I've learned that after a year but perimeter is the distance around any object. correct yes or no so when i par parapateo i am walking around it's it's the consummation of life my journeys where i'm going so it says if he says to walk in the spirit and if i do that i will not carry out the desire of the flesh now does that mean i won't be tempted Does that mean I won't sin along the way? No. But if I'm walking in the Spirit, my direction is pointed in a certain direction. Ladd said this, to walk by the Spirit means to be under the constant moment-by-moment direction, control, and guidance of the Holy Spirit. I cannot, listen to me folks, I cannot live Christian life with a switch. That I have this alternate life over here. That I'm living outside the church, living in my flesh. And come over here into this side and come into church lifting my hands, weeping and all that stuff. Those two things do not line up. The Spirit wants control in your life every moment, not just some moments. So it's important that we're reminded that the work of the Spirit to sanctify is based on the person of the Holy Spirit, the revealer of truth, who wants to flush the sin out of my life. So we walk. Thomas Schreiner says this, If believers want to conquer the flesh, they must continually, continually yield to the Spirit. And because of that, if he's leading me out of a life of sin, walking in the Spirit is walking in repentance. I remember a little toy growing up. It was a little robot and you would wind it up and then when you let go, it would kind of do something like this it would just kind of no it was meander with no direction and that's the way we are if we don't see that in salvation determined i repent of my sin but now as i'm walking i'm like this robot sometimes and i mean this is the way is jesus and i'm i'm kind of meandering back and forth repentance continual repentance keeps pointing me back in the direction i need to go does it not when we look at verse five, uh, 17, it says, For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition of one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Because sometimes I want to live in my flesh and do the things that please me. That's in the flesh. But am I living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, so that when I'm doing that, I'm doing the things that please Him? It's one or the other, guys. I... There is no gray area in how I'm walking. If I start walking toward the flesh, it's going to lead to corruption. If I'm walking in the spirit, it's going to lead to life. It's kind of like the movie Apollo 13. You know, as they're coming back, they don't have much juice to do a whole lot of things. But the one thing they had to make sure is that they kept the earth in the window. And so they would fire up the module and (laughs) redirect the thing. They only had like a certain amount of time and they had to get it right on the spot Otherwise, they would skip past earth or they'd burn up in re-entry. You know the the story. It's real to life. But they had to keep earth in the window. Guys, we've got to keep Jesus in our window. And the way we do that is we continually assess our life in regard to sin and repent as I am needing to repent. That's why I'm saying the blind sometimes don't know they're blind. I need to sit down and get down on my knees and say, God, would you analyze my heart? Because I may have sinned and I don't even know it. But I can feel the weight of it. I can sense the the repercussion of it. God, would you flush me? Would you cleanse me? Would you purify me? Because I can't do enough good stuff to cover up the bad stuff. I need you to take it away, which is the fire of the Holy Spirit to purge it out of my life. And then I'll be free. And so I live this life of repentance. And so in living a life of repentance... The fruit exhibited reveals my true nature. If you go back and read that passage in Matthew 7, he talks about, you know a tree by the fruit that it bears, and the tree he's talking about was false prophets. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. What constitutes a bad fruit? Because I think immediately we start thinking, well, I got this banana and it's turned brown, No, he's talking about what is being expressed. If I have an apple tree in my backyard, what's going to be expressed? Apples. If I have a pear tree in my backyard, I'm not getting watermelon. But what is a fruit anyway? If you study science, a fruit encases the seeds of that tree. Because that tree wants to reproduce and make other trees that bear fruit. And so it makes fruit that's enticing and good to eat so animals come by, they digest the fruit, the seeds pass through them safely, out comes instant fertilizer, and it's spread out, and new trees come up and bear more, fr- bear more fruit, which bears more seeds, and keeps it going. If the glory of God exists inside of my life through the Holy Spirit, and the fruit is being exhibited, it ought to impact people in a way. That they then begin to walk in the Spirit and they begin to ex- express those fruits. And those fruits affect other people and on and on and on. Do you see the reproducing, the, the, the multiplication that happens if you and I would just walk in the Spirit? And so in connection with that, we produce fruit by abiding in Christ by the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 5 of John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Wait a minute, Jesus just told him he was leaving. Well, wait a minute, remember his promise? He said, I go away and if I go away, I'm going to send another who will be with you and in you. We abide in Christ by abiding in the Holy Spirit and we can only produce the right kind of fruit that is spiritual if I'm connected to him. So we have to fight to stay connected. Guys, there is forces in this world that doesn't want you to know Jesus. There's forces in this world that doesn't want us to be in this room today together. There's things in our life that happens. I have a fallout with so-and-so over here, and, and they stay mad at me. And every time I come around, they turn the corner and walk the other way because they're mad and they're hurt. And they carry that, and you're just like, come on. Let's, let's, let's live in grace, and let's let those things drop. Some of you are carrying church hurt that happened 20 Twenty-five million years ago, which doesn't exist, it's, that's, a, that's, that's a hyperbole, come on. You know, it's a long time ago. We're still carrying that hurt. Instead of laying it at the foot of Jesus and letting it be covered with the blood so that there would be no division between any of us. Because Satan knows if he can divide us by bringing up those little things and those little words and those little actions done in the past that hurt us, he can keep us divided. And if we're divided, we're not unified if we're not unified. We're powerless. When I abide in Christ, by abiding in the Holy Spirit, He begins to reveal my true nature. You know what? I need my true nature to be revealed. I need to see who I really am. Because if I stand before a holy God someday and my nature has not been changed by the Holy Spirit and I have not been saved, I will live separated from Him forever. Don't you think I need to know who I am? And let me add this. You didn't pay for this one today. I think the reason that we are living in a world right now that is so confused about identity is because they're actually trying to find the truth. But the only way I can see the truth is by confusing my identity. Without Jesus I am a sinner. With Jesus I'm a son of God. There's there's only one or two things. I just solved the identity problem right there. I need to find out what it's like to live as a child of God. Y'all agree with that? And I do that by walking in the spirit. Let's just go, let's go a little faster here. The practice of the works of the flesh is evidence, evidence of a lack of regeneration. So he burrows down into 19 through 21 and he gives this list of sins. In fact, if you read that list, he talks about three sexual sins, two religious sins, eight societal sins, two sins associated with alcohol. And then really there's a fifth sin. It's like, and sins that are like these, an indefinite list. But the word that you need to focus on is in the last verse. It says practice. And he says, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How do I not practice those things? <laughs> I sound like a record at skipping by walking in the spirit and repenting of my sin, walking in the spirit, repenting of my sin. To me, I know it sounds like it's it's too simple, but the power of the forgiveness of the Lord lives inside of me that will direct me away from from those things, we, we see this paralleled in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, where he says that he gives this a similar list. And he says, such will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they are practices of these things, which means they have not repented of these things, which means they have not committed their way to the way of the Spirit. But he says in verse 11, it's a great verse, such were some of you. You're not that anymore. You don't have that title anymore. You were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If practice reveals a lack of repentance, no matter what cultural philosophy may say, I must repent of all of my sin. And those two lists give me a really good starting point. If those things are evident in my life, and the Spirit is not bringing conviction to redirect me, to keep Jesus in my window, then I need to ask myself the question... Am I right with the Lord? We are called to die. And death is not easy. But as one, one of my friends uh, would, would often say, who's a counselor, he would say to people, uh, they'd be talking about all the things in their life, and then they'd start confessing the things they were doing. And so he just leaned forward and say, well, how's that working for you? You know, if you keep beating your head against the wall, and you wonder why you got a pump knot on your head, But you keep going back and beating your head against the wall. Somebody eventually will say, well, how's that working for you? Stop beating your head. Come on. Stop doing the things that's bringing the pain. And that's what the Lord is inviting us to do today because here's the other point. The fruit expressed expresses changed character, and it cannot be legislated. Why did I put that in there? Well, in verse 18 and 23 In 18, he says, but if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Jesus paid for the law. Now you're under the Spirit. And the character of God, which is expressed in the law, begins to live out in me. Remember, the the Spirit's first name is what? Say it again. Holy. So if Holy Spirit lives in me, Holy Spirit should begin living out of me. Then he says, after that list of, of, of fruit, he says, against such things, there is no law. You can't legislate love. I can look at my two kids when they argue and say, now you need to apologize to your, to your sister. And, I'm sorry. Why is he doing it or she doing it? Because they got caught. It's worldly sorrow. I'm just doing it because you're trying to make me do it, but there's no heart of love in that apology. A heart of love would say, listen, I'm sorry. I did this and I want to make it right. That's a heart of humility and submission. And so there's a reason That we need to think about this today because we are called to be conformed to the image of God. I will never find transformation as long as I continue fulfilling the cravings of my my flesh. And if I want to express the fruit and that fruit have its good work, then I have to understand the fruit is for others. The fruit is for others. I mean, you can talk. all right, well, joy, how is joy affecting other people? Well, you know what? Have you ever been around a grouch? But you look at that list: love, the very thing that connects us to one another. We we look at, at at peace; it's the source that should reign in our relationship. Joy, because it does. Our our persona, our attitudes, affect the way other people feel. You look at kindness, and you look at that's what brought us to Christ, according to Romans two four. It should be it should cause us to extend love to other goodness, just treating others with goodness. And kindness and respect, a light in the midst of a great darkness, faithfulness, to be willing to be somebody who's loyal, dependable, a person of my word, gentle, because no one in the church has been given permission to lord power over anyone else. In fact, we're called to be meek. Are you with me? We're not called to be forceful and to treat others harshly. You know what breaks my heart when I hear, hear somebody say, Well, I went up to them. And I gave them a piece of my mind. Well, you gave them a tongue lashing? Do you feel better about yourself? How's the spirit working in your life? That's not how it works. And then you talk about self control. Who in this room wants some, some supernatural restraint? Laura wants me to have supernatural restraint when I go into the Lego store. <laughs> and sometimes I do. But against these things, there's no law. You can't legislate it. You can't make someone do it. But here's what cuts the fruits off in my, fruit off in my life. Because they're a you, unit. They're a whole. You can't say, well, I like the joy and the peace. But I don't know about this self-control stuff. It's fruit, singular. And if I'm slipping in any of those areas, then I need to make sure I repent, get back in alignment, and walk in the Spirit. You know, I even thought, I, I was talking to people this week and I said, well, how do you walk in the Spirit? And they're like, well, how do you walk in the Spirit? And I'm like, you know what? It's called faith. <laughs> you are pointing yourself in a direction to follow and do whatever the Lord would have you to do. But I can tell you what, it's not. It's indulging in your flesh. And so, starting point to walking in the Spirit. is turning away from those things. And that when I begin to express those fruit, God ought to be glorified. Now, this is just me. You can disagree with me if you want to disagree with me. I think before you perform any gift of the Spirit, the fruits are higher in the order. You don't get all of these gifts that make you look spiritual if the fruit is not evident. In fact, let me just go ahead and give you that last point. We'll bring this to a close. Continuing in sin and attempting to subjectively manifest the Spirit is hypocrisy. I just waited to the last to go right for the jugular. There's a story of a lady who was a fantastic worship leader, highly gifted, a voice of an angel. She had this impeccable ability to draw people into the singing. But here's where the hypocrisy was. She was abusing her, her team, she was abusing her band and sleeping with the bass player. I'm telling you folks, she can continue down that path, but sin will eventually come for its pay. You can't exhibit The expressions of the Spirit if you are living in the indulgence of sin. They cannot coexist, and that's what hypocrisy is. What that does, if we decide that's the route we're going to go, we create a context in church that is inauthentic. It creates a context where people can't truly be who they are. And as we said last week or the week before, I want our church to be a hospital for the hurting to come but if they have to come in here and jump through a whole bunch of spiritual manifestation hoops to prove that they're serious, then we've lost from the beginning. Let the Spirit have His good work in us, uh, sanctifying us, filling us, giving His power, and manifesting the Spirit of the, of the spiritual fruits in our life. He closes this, this paragraph out by saying, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Oh, wait a minute. That's a different word. In English, it's the same word. The first one is peripateo, right? To walk about, the consummation of life. But this word is stokeo. And it means to march in line. So as you and I are looking at our life, he, he commands us to walk in the Spirit, to not carry out the desire of the flesh. But now after the fruits have been, have been defined, he said, let us live by the Spirit. If we do that, then let us also march by the Spirit. We need to embrace the process of life change that is in the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think for just a minute about your life. I I don't want to hark and hound on sin, but, but I just know sin is a prevalent thing in all of our lives. And we want to bring those things before the Lord and lay them at His feet, let His blood cover them. But we also know what it feels like for it to take a part of our life to affect us. And so what I want to invite you to do is stand, and, and I want you to close your eyes. And would you be honest in a moment of self-reflection to say, you know what, there is a sin. There is a sin in my life, and it's eating my lunch. I don't want it in my life, and for whatever reason, maybe you've pleaded with God over and over again, God, take this out of my life. But would you, in a moment of vulnerability, with your eyes closed, I want you just to take your right hand Close your hand. Don't make a fist and turn it over. Just keep your fingers pointed up. In a sense of a metaphor, I want you to say, Lord, this is, in just a minute I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you some more instructions, but I want you to say, Lord, this is my sin. I'm tired of it ruining my life. God may release you right now by the power of the Holy Spirit and you never crave it again. He may send you through a process of purging it out of your life, but would you be willing to raise that hand up and Father, as we do this, we've got our hands clenched around something that has, has its tentacles in our life, but it is a symbol that we want to let it go. Fully let it go. It's a sign of repentance. Now, everybody open your hand. Now you've got an open hand. You're not holding on to the sin. So let God take it. Lord, would you forgive us of that sin? Would you purify us of that sin? Would you cleanse us of that sin? Because we're tired of the fruit that it expressed. Now I want you guys to raise your left hand and keep it open. Father, as we raise our left hand, what we're asking is that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Would you rekindle the spark that was once there when we first came to faith in you. And God, that you would work in that. That you would fill us. Would you sanctify us? Would you purify us and cleanse us? Because we, we lift our open hands to you to receive in full what you would give to us today. So you can put your hands down. And what I want to challenge you to do during this invitation... Fred and Kevin Crosby and some of us will be at the front. If you're lost and you don't know Jesus Christ, I don't have to convince you of that. You know it. It's burning in you right now. Would you come up here and meet with one of us and talk to us and let us share with you about a Savior who went to a cross and died to pay the sin debt your, your sin deserved, but He was raised again so He could give you fullness of life and that resurrection and eternal life someday. Here's what I also want to challenge you to do. No one alone. I want you to say that with me. No one alone. This altar, to me, is a sacred place of intercession, of prayer. Sometimes people come to this altar; they come to pray, and they've just got maybe maybe they're just praying for their kid. Sometimes people are coming down here to do some real business, and what I want to lift with as much possibility as there is is the stigma that people say, I can't go to the altar because I don't want people to think bad of me. I want Ebenezer to be the kind of church that says, "All right, when somebody comes to this altar, they'll never be alone. Ladies, if you see a lady or a young lady come to this altar, don't wait for somebody to go, hey, I need you to come here. You move out of your seat so there's no one, never alone. If a man comes down to this altar, you come down to this altar, don't wait. You don't have to ask them what's going on. They can feel you around them. That support... And that intercession. Can we agree to that? That we're going to create a culture in our church that no one is ever alone at this altar. Can we do that? Would y'all do that? Father, as we get ready to to spend this time singing and making decisions, Lord, laying our hearts before you, would you speak to us? Lord, if you need to do work in our life, purge some things from our heart, God, would you do that? And Lord, as we lay our lives before you, would you use us? And if someone's lost in this room, Lord, don't let them leave until they come down and they share with one of us the need that they have to be saved and to hear them profess Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.